right, Nathaniel Hobby. Let's welcome Nathaniel. Wonderful. Oh, thanks so much. What service. Now, thank you. So this morning we're in the last of our Enjoying God uh, series, and if you're anything like me, uh, you'll have absolutely loved it. It's brilliant, isn't it? Looking at how our relationship with God is to be enjoyed. We can actually enjoy it. And it, as Matt and Grace helpfully reminded us, we've got a whole day of enjoying God today, so please do come back to the carol service later and we can do some more enjoying God then. And I wonder how you felt as we've been going through this series and talking about enjoying God, because joy is something that we've all felt, but it's actually quite difficult to put your finger on explaining what it actually is. So we can all feel joy in different ways. It might be that for you, joy is linked to achievement. So if you are a good runner and you complete the race that you're running, you might feel a sense of joy in your achievement. If you are a fan of a football team and they win, you might feel a sense of joy when they win that match. It might be that joy for you is linked to being with other people, that when you spend time with other people, you feel a sense of joy. Or it might be something as simple as, a good uh, bar of chocolate and a beer that gives you joy. And these are all things that can help us to feel enjoyment. Myself, I love movies. We're booked in opening night to watch Star Wars on Thursday night, so that's going to be something that brings me joy. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But what about when it comes to God? Can you point to elements of your relationship with God that actually bring you enjoyment? Do you believe that you can enjoy God? I think for so many people and relationship with God can feel a little bit like a to-do list. You've got your Bible reading to tick off and your praying to tick off and you attend church on Sunday and if you do enough of these things and tick enough boxes then you're right with God but it's entirely possible to do all of those things and have absolutely no enjoyment in them as you go. But the Bible actually tells us that enjoying God is imperative for a Christian life. We're in Psalms this morning, and if you go through Psalms, there's an exercise you can do where you just bomb through quickly and have a look at all the instructions that we're given in Psalms. And it's full of things like rejoice, shout, delight in God. You go through Psalms and you read it, and you read these descriptive words that point to enjoyment. We're supposed to have joy. And that's what this series has been all about, capturing that joy. And today's message in the passage that we're going to be looking at is really important because it looks at something that robs us of joy in God, and that something is sin. Now, if you're new to church, that word sin might be a little bit weird for you. I myself uh, found the word sin uh, was used when I joined Slimming World. I I know what you're thinking, like, why does this Greek god of a man need to go along to Slimming World? I know it's kind of you, but I dress well. Um, but when you go there and you sit in Slimming World, they use this term sins to describe these kind of little naughty extras that you're allowed as a part of your average day. And I think you can have up to 15 sins and that's like allowed. And if you go beyond that, then that's not allowed. And you'd have to sit there every week whilst people talked about the ways that they had a little bit too much sin. And, you know, there'd be somebody there and you'd say, well, you put on two pounds this week. What's gone wrong? And they'd say, well, I just love cake. I just love cake. I know, I know. I know, we all do, you know, and, and actually that's the way that a lot of people can view sin, it's this kind of naughty little extra that uh, we shouldn't really have, that extra bar of chocolate, but we, we end up having it anyway, but the biblical version of sin is much more serious, 
Sin is essentially the catch-all term for the stuff that we do that's contrary to what God would have us do. And the Bible's clear that this isn't a spiritual version of an extra chocolate. This is life and death stuff. Because it creates a barrier between us and God, and it stops us having a relationship with him. Or to put it another way, it stops us enjoying him. So you go with me for a minute on this. Think back to the last big argument you've had. And we've all had one. Come on. Whether it's with a friend or your husband or wife, one of the kids that's been winding you up, or that guy that you just can't stand at work, not that you'd tell anyone. One of you does something wrong, and it creates a bit of a rift between you, and then all day you keep thinking about it. It plays on your mind. You might be the sort of person that tries to rehearse that perfect comeback, play it over a thousand times in your head, so you're like, oh, if he says anything today, oh, I've got him, oh, I've got him. And then when you see them again, there's that odd atmosphere, isn't there? Neither of you really wants to talk about it, but you see them and you feel awkward and a bit weird and you know that they do as well. It's like the elephant in the room that neither one of you really wants to talk about. And we've all been there. And for that relationship to be restored, we need reconciliation. The one in the wrong needs to apologize. We need to eat some humble pie for life to return to normal. And thinking of our relationship with God in this way can be a little bit more helpful because God's desire for us is to have a perfect, enjoyable relationship with him. That's what he desires, to have a perfect relationship with us. And when we do something wrong, we can get that feeling, can't we? And you'll know it if you've ever done anything wrong, that sense of guilt or shame might even stop us from praying. Have you ever had that conversation with yourself? Oh, I've been so bad today, I just can't pray. I can't possibly go to God. It's my own fault for doing it. You might even put a time limit on, right, well, I've, I've been so bad today, I don't think I can pray again until tomorrow morning. So I'm going to go to sleep, and then by tomorrow, I'll have done enough punishing of myself that I can then go back to God. And the reality is, we all need to get right with God. And here's the good news, because Jesus came and dealt with this sin to remove the barrier and give us right relationship with God. And we're now instructed to keep that right relationship, clear of sin, for maximum enjoyment. And that enjoyment often comes through repentance, which is what we're talking about this morning. We're not to wait. Enjoying God requires regular repentance. And that's the second word for this morning that if you've not been around church very much, you might not quite get. You see, you might understand repentance to be saying sorry. If you repent for something, you say sorry and you move on. But I'm here to tell you, unfortunately, that's not the case. I'll tell you why. I remember growing up, I had two sisters growing up and one sister I was particularly close in age with, and we used to fight like nothing else. I mean, if you've, you know, ever seen a couple of kids together, really scrapping, going for it, pulling hair, you know, it was like UFC, age five and seven, we were really going for it. <laughs> but then your mum or your dad would come in, or at least my mum would come into the room, and she'd be like, right, that's it, you two, apologise, you've got to apologise to each other. And I would give the most begrudging, unapologetic sorry that I could muster. So, yeah, sorry. Uh. I mean, it didn't change a thing. I thought I was right. But to appease the situation, I'll be the big man. I'll say sorry, you know. Then it's all good, and I'm fine with my sister, and then my mum walks out of the room, and we're straight back at it. (laughs) See, repentance isn't the half-hearted apology through gritted teeth for the sin that we've committed, and possibly, let's face it, rather enjoyed at the time. Repentance is a total heart change. It's a complete turn, 180, away from sin and towards God. And that word repentance actually means turning. Think about it like this. You start your day and you're right with God and then 
you might be driving to work and somebody cuts you up and you kind of say a word that you shouldn't really say and then you get to work and the guy who winds you up is still winding you up and instead of being the humble guy you're supposed to be, you try and undercut him in that meeting or whatever it might be. And then you get to lunch and you do something else and, you know, on your way home, you phone at your wife and you have an argument and then, you know, you might do something else and before you know it, actually, your day that started out so right with God is not anymore. And when you get to this point here, it doesn't call for us to give a begrudging, oh, sorry about all that, I shouldn't have done that today. What God wants for us is to turn 180 degrees round back to him. And that's what repentance is. And it's something that David was really clear about. And we're going to be in Psalm 32 today. If you've got your Bible, you can find it, page 560, and pop a finger in it. Psalm 32 is a teaching psalm. There's a word at the very beginning. It says, of David, a maskil. And maskil, that word, there's a little A that takes you to the bottom there as well. But that word can mean wise or knowledge. And it helps set the context that this is a teaching psalm. We're supposed to learn from this. One commentator puts it this way. Psalm 32 tells us that confession of sin should also be a feature in our corporate times of worship. It reminds us that we're often better at singing that we are forgiven than singing for forgiveness. So let's read this psalm together. We're just going to read the first seven verses together. It says this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Stop there. This teaching psalm is here to help us to understand the true purpose of repentance, and that's reconciliation to God so that we can enjoy him. And I'm going to make three points based on Tim Chester's book, Enjoying God, which is the book that we've been going through as a part of this series. And it will help us see through Psalm 32 that repentance leads to joy. So my first point then for the note takers among you, number one, we can enjoy God. The start of this psalm tells us, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. According to the psalm, what are we then when we're right with God? Blessed. We're blessed. The gospel's good news for us. If you know Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. Jesus has them covered, your sin doesn't count against you, and you've got free access to your Father in heaven. You are blessed. Christian, here this morning, you are blessed. Jesus' death and resurrection, defeating sin on our behalf, isn't just good news for us once at the moment we accept Jesus and become Christians. It continues to be good news for us for the rest of our lives. As Christians, we need to have a better view of what joy looks like. If our joy is based on money, or a Star Wars movie, or winning football matches, or other people, then ultimately our joy will fail. Because money comes and goes, and that winning football team will start losing, and people will ultimately let us down. 
Instead, our happiness should be linked to the root of all joy, the one who never fails, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you know Jesus, you've got riches beyond comparison. In the book Enjoying God, Tim Chester writes, here's the secret of happiness. You ready for it? Who is the blessed or happy one? Not the person who's free of sin, because such a person does not exist. Enjoying God is never something we achieve. It's his gift to us in Christ. A blessed life is open to you now. The secret's not perfection, but forgiveness. We've been forgiven. We're the blessed ones. Not only because forgiveness is ours, but because the creator of the universe, the one in whom we find forgiveness, wants a personal relationship with us as well. He's prepared a place for us to be with him forever. See, in that context, what's it matter who wins the football match? Or the election, for that matter? How how much does it matter how much money we've got in the bank when we've got an eternal relationship of much greater value? Blessed is the one who's forgiven, whose sins are covered. You're blessed. And in this context, relationship isn't a chore. It's not a tick box exercise of spiritual disciplines. You get to go about your day with God to speak to him, to sing to him, to seek his wisdom and comfort and strength. A relationship with God isn't a tick box exercise, it's something to be enjoyed and savored and we can enjoy God. So do you experience that joy? For me, it's most often found when we worship, when we sing, and you might have noticed I love to sing, often far too loudly, but it's partly because I love it, having that joy, that sense of togetherness as we sing and declare truth about who God is. But I know others who find joy in God through nature. Others really love understanding more about God, and as they read more and understand more, they enjoy him. Enjoyment of God is linked to our understanding of what God has done for us and who we now are in him. And it might be that you don't feel that joy for, at the moment, either because you feel unworthy of it because there's some sin in your life that you need to deal with and there'll be more on that later or perhaps life circumstances aren't going your way you've got a lack of money or physical health or the kids are ill whatever it might be and actually I want to speak to this for a moment for you in our CBR reading this week we've been going through Matthew and uh, if you're not in a community Bible reading group I really want to encourage you to do so because it's an incredible way of enjoying your relationship with God together and In Matthew this week, I was really struck by the way Jesus ministers to people as he goes. He meets people who are really in need, people who are sick, and people who are desperate and unhappy. And in Matthew 9, we read about a paralyzed man who comes to Jesus for healing. I'll read it to you. It's behind me as well. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man's blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. The thing that struck me most about reading Jesus' account of healing here was that he started by forgiving the man of his sins before his physical healing. In other words, Jesus is more concerned with our spiritual healing here than our physical healing. And I know probably more than than most at the moment that physical healing can be a joyless thing or physical pain can be a joyless thing. 
and the daily reality of pain can make life much harder and finding joy much harder. And the same can be true for you if you're without money or a job or a partner or the kids are sick. It saps joy from you, doesn't it? But we've got hope through Jesus that our pain and our life circumstances are temporary. Our physical bodies will be healed, either this side of heaven or the next. But Jesus came to heal the rift that sin created between us and God, and that is eternal. If your joy is because of lack of money or job or healing or whatever else it might be, I understand, and it's hard. But we can still hold on to joy through God. Enjoying God isn't dependent at all on our circumstances going our way. And I've heard many people, you might have heard the same thing, put conditions on God. Well, I'll believe in God once I'm healed, you know? Why won't God give me a job? I'll be happy once I've got that job. But my experience is that through trials, people often find a greater sense of enjoyment in God because they need to depend on him every more, even more in everyday life. And that closeness of relationship brings comfort, and that comfort can be enjoyed when other things can't. So it's often the absence of these things that actually helps us to see and enjoy God because as Christians, we need a better understanding of what joy is. It's not having the job and having the money and having the health, it's having Jesus. And I really don't want to trivialize what you might be going through this morning because it's going to be very real to you. But you should know that you can still enjoy God in spite of your own circumstance. And I'd be happy to pray for you to that end if you want to feel that way. Now, if you're lacking enjoyment in God as a result of guilt or sin or your own wrongdoing, then this morning's psalm speaks specifically to you, which, note-takers, leads me to point number two. Sin ruins our enjoyment of God. The psalm continues, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Like the analogy I gave you earlier of those arguments we've all had before that have left us drained of energy and upset, Davis tells us in the psalm that unconfessed sin can do the same to our relationship with God. And it's something that we can all relate to as well. We all know when we've done something wrong, don't we? A couple of years ago, I was, uh, Emma went out, she went shopping. I was like, don't worry, I've got the kids. They're on my watch now. Everything's going to be absolutely fine. And uh, I walked downstairs about an hour later I, I mean, I wasn't upstairs for a whole hour. I was, I was looking after my children. Don't worry. I hadn't just kind of... When I also came back from the shops, you know, that wasn't the case. Uh, but I came downstairs to find that Eleanor had cut this much off Evelyn's hair. Just on one side. Yeah, I know. We were all in trouble that day. <laughs> the thing is, immediately, Eleanor knew she'd done something wrong. The second I saw that hair on the floor, I didn't need to say... What have you done? She was crying and apologized. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I know. She recognized what she had done wrong without me needing to say anything. And we've all been there. We know when we've done wrong, right? Obsessing over it, trying to find ways out of it, justifying our actions to ourselves. Well, I wouldn't have done it if that person hadn't done. And, you know, it's not my fault. And it just is what happened to me. But ultimately, while we're doing that, we're robbed of joy. Again, in the book Enjoying God, Tim Chester writes, you can be an expert at hiding your sin from other people, but it doesn't bring joy. You think exposure will be a disaster, but covering up doesn't make you happy. By delaying repentance, we step away from the love and life of God. 
I've known some people who have been expert at hiding their sin, and that sin has always led to misery. I've known guys come to a church on a Sunday morning, smiling at me like nothing's wrong, yet behind closed doors, they've been doing awful things. There's one guy I was very, very close to in our last church who kept out that lie all the way to a prison sentence. Sin finds its power in secret places, and bringing it into the light often shows it for what it is. And hey, I've been there myself too, coming to church on a Sunday, pretending all's fine, putting your best clothes on, and telling everyone, yeah, fine, good week, and living in unrepentant sin for the rest of the week. And I'm not going to tell you this out of any sense of pride, but I say it because A, it can happen to anyone, and B, if it's not dealt with, it can lead to misery. Not even church leaders are immune, and you, you know, we can all draw to our minds cases of church leaders who have so publicly fallen from their pulpits because of sin. People who have written books led churches of thousands. Some have even led churches in this town. Viewing sin in the slimming world, harmless way that we do, can sometimes help us to justify that it's okay. Sin seems harmless and fun and enjoyable. And let's face it, it often can be, otherwise we wouldn't do it. The lie sin tells you is that it's more enjoyable than God. So many people are stuck in sexual sin because, let's face it, it feels good. The lie is that it brings you joy, but that joy is only temporary. Others find enjoyment in alcohol or food, which again can be pleasurable, but only for a time. Money can buy you things and make you happy, but for how long, really? All these things are temporary, and continued enjoyment is reliant on our ability to continue to keep doing it again and again and again. And soon it can take over. It moves us further and further from God until we can't untangle the mess we've made for ourselves any longer. We can't justify it to ourselves in our heads, and we implode. That harmless sin turns into a series of sins, which turns into habitual sin, and before we know it, we've lost control. And then the sin isn't fun anymore either, because we've been robbed of joy. Again! Some may even be addicted to the thing that they initially thought was harmless. The lie is that sin brings more joy than God, but in reality, the opposite is true. And that's why at Gateway Church, we take sin seriously. That's why we encourage accountable relationships with one another. That's why we should be asking one another tough questions, because as a community, we want to root sin out of our lives and point one another towards Jesus. And ultimately, We're not pointing one another towards Jesus out of legalism, and we're not saying sorry for the sake of it. We're doing so because by doing it, relationship with God is restored, and out of it, we get enjoyment. We enjoy him. A life lived with God is better than a life without. Which leads me to my final point, and that final point is confessing sin restores our enjoyment of God. The psalm continues, Then I acknowledge my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Can you see what the psalm tells us when we confess our sin? Joy is restored. Back to our argument analogy, how sweet is the feeling of restored relationship? You've had that argument with your wife or with the kids and it's weighing heavy on you. And after you argue, one of you 
plucks up the courage to say, hey, I'm sorry. I really regret that. I really, you know, just want to come to you and say, you know, I want this relationship to be, to be back to how it was. You repent for any wrongdoing and you can get back to enjoying one another's company. You've stopped obsessing over it and you're back to sharing jokes and having fun. The same also happens with God. We repent and relationship is restored. And importantly, the psalm tells us that there's no delay between repentance and forgiveness. When you do wrong, God isn't in heaven sitting stewing over your actions. And his forgiveness isn't begrudging when we say sorry. He's not like, oh, well, I suppose I should. I am God, you know, fine. If our repentance is the complete 180-degree turnaround, because remember, repentance means turning, then God's forgiveness is just as quick to respond. Living a life of enjoyment with God sits hand-in-hand with a life of repentance. Tim Chester even suggests setting time aside every day as a part of our relationship with God to repent of anything that might have happened that day, to hold a short account with God, not to let things store up or fester. Remember earlier when we were walking further and further and further away, and the longer you leave it, the further away you feel, while keeping a short account with God, saying sorry every day and every moment, means that that enjoyment in your relationship with God happens much, much sooner. We need to hold short accounts with God, not let things store up. Let's not let small sin build up or turn into habitual sin. Don't let Satan trip you up on this one, guys. For some this morning, there may be action needed right now to put things right. Things you need to throw away in your home. People you need to go and speak to this morning as you pursue reconciliation with them and ultimately with God. You might even need to seek help from one of us in the church Please do come and speak with an elder, myself, Matt, Gordon, any one of us would be happy to talk with you, chat with you, and pray with you. See, repentance isn't a one-time thing at the point we become Christians, and it's not something that we should do when we feel the level of sin has got bad enough. It should be something we do often as a part of our relationship with God as we seek to limit sin's power and enjoy God. I'd also encourage you to build relationships here with people that can ask you tough questions. I'm so grateful for the friendships of many in this room. People sat here this morning, good friends who point me to Jesus, who point out where I may have done wrong because they care more about my long-term relationship with God than they do about my short-term feelings. And guys, we need to have friendships like that. If Gateway Church is your home, then find friends here who love you enough to ask the tough questions. And next time you feel tempted towards sin, towards choosing the way of the world rather than God's way, remember where true joy and happiness comes from. It isn't the things of this world, but our Father in heaven, where we'll be for eternity. Those temptations might seem good for a moment, but God is good always. So there's good news for us in this, in our continued enjoyment of God. Do you know, you don't need to suffer for your sin because Jesus already has. And you don't need to punish yourself for your sin because Jesus already has. You see? Jesus took the punishment and the suffering that we're so tempted to put on ourselves when we feel guilty. He took it all and suffered it and endured it and completed it for us. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling guilty, as I've been chatting, there's something weighing heavy on your heart and you know it's that thing. I know it's that thing that I need to deal with that I've prayed for time and time again. Then you don't need to feel guilty anymore. 
this psalm, this morning's message is for you. Stop wallowing, repent, and come back to God. We're meant to enjoy God, and a healthy relationship with repentance is key because it's the key that will help us do it for the long haul. If you feel guilty or ashamed or addicted or stuck or just downright miserable, then this morning you can be free because of Jesus. If you're stuck in sexual sin or addicted to something that you shouldn't be, if you've fallen out of a relationship with somebody and that's causing you a lot of heartache and you know you need to restore it, then this morning is the morning to bring it into the light and deal with it. Especially if the person you've fallen out with is in this room, don't come and take communion until you've dealt with it. If you need to repent this morning for something you've done wrong or a pattern of habitual sin you've fallen into, then this morning is the morning to come and receive forgiveness. Take the weight of that guilt off and start enjoying your relationship with God again. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus at all, this morning I'm talking about one who's got the power to eternally forgive you for everything you've ever done wrong, free you from the grip of guilt and shame, and instead tell you how much he loves you. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you can know him this morning as well. Please come and find me if you'd like to know more about that. I would love to help you. See, David, the writer of our psalm, wasn't immune to sin himself. He knew its corrupting power. It led him to commit adultery with the wife of another man, a man he subsequently killed. And if David can still write and sing about the absolute forgiveness of God, then I think we can too. Psalm 32 ends by saying this. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all, you who are upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. So as we come back to worship, we can lay down our sin and our guilt and our secrets and rejoice and be glad in the one who makes us righteous. We can enjoy God this morning. We can wake up tomorrow morning with a renewed sense of freedom and assurance that our sins have been dealt with. We've been forgiven. Jesus' death and resurrection has paid for everything we've ever done and ever will do. And it's for us to keep good relationship with God to choose him over sin, to keep a short account with God and enjoy our relationship with him. We can feel that forgiveness. And when we feel that forgiveness, there's a righteous joy that can replace the guilt when we come to him and repent. We're meant to enjoy our relationships with God. So deal with the sin that's robbing you of that joy and begin to live in the fullness of the forgiveness that is yours through Jesus. As we come back to worship, it's time for us to enjoy him. Wonderful, Dan. When you get ready, let me just pray for us. And then we'll sing again. Oh, Father, I thank you for the good news that we find in Jesus Christ. Thank you. That's not just good news for us once when we become Christians, but that's good news for us every day, in every moment. We can enjoy a relationship with you, God, through Jesus because he's made a way for us to be with you now and forever. And if there is anything that we've done that is in the way of that, Lord, I pray this morning that you would bring it to the fore. As we take this moment now, Lord, I pray you would open our hearts. You'd be revealing things to us that we need to deal with so that we can remain in right relationship with you. Lord, help us not to be prideful in this. 
In our own strength, none of us is good enough. It's only because of your son that we are. So we've got nothing to boast in except Jesus. So I pray you'd remove that pride and help us to see our sin for what it is in the light. Help us to deal with it, get it gone, so that we can enjoy our relationship with you. Oh, come Lord. We want to enjoy you this morning. In your name. Amen.